been teaching these last several weeks on the seven churches of Asia. We'll be finishing up chapter 2 today, and then the rest of the churches were addressed in that third chapter. We've called this particular series of messages of these seven churches, What Would Jesus Say? If He were here in the flesh, had an ability to speak to us with regards to church and church life, church environment, church culture, what would he say to us? And uh, here in these seven churches, he encapsulates a lot, of, a lot of interesting insight as to what was going on in some of these early churches. And as we've studied it, we noticed that some of the churches, at least two of them, seem to be right on track. Uh, one of them just has a little tweaking, perhaps it has to do, and then the other ones need... You know, they need the two-by-four up the side of the heads, what they need. So he, he speaks very directly, uh, very pointedly, and it's just good for us to hear a little bit of what he would have to say to us. And uh, again, you can hit the iTunes uh, link on our website if you want to catch up. It's there, so you can hear all the messages that brought introduction to where we are today. But we've been talking about the church breaking through and becoming the church. The actual word in the Greek language... For church is ekklesia, ek meaning out. Ekklesia came from kaleo, which means to call out. So we are the the called out ones. And I believe we are called out to make an impact. Called out to do great exploits for the Lord, wherever he has placed us and whatever city the church finds itself in. And now we come to the fourth stop on our seven city tour of Asia. And this is the church that's pronounced Thyatira. Thyatira. This particular um, exhortation the Lord gives to Thyatira was perhaps the longest word to all of the churches that he addressed. Um, And unfortunately, this particular church was not that notable. As we started, it it started out on a little higher note. Now we're going to dip a little bit. And then, gratefully, before the series is over, we get to come out and see some people that are back on track. But Thyatira was not notable in the eyes of the Lord. Um, They experienced really no persecution. That's interesting to me. While the other churches seemed to battle some persecution, they didn't face much persecution at all. However, it's interesting that while they didn't have any of the governmental or external persecuting features that other churches and cities experienced, Thyatira had one thing that they were notable for that the other churches apparently either had, had, you know, they'd gotten it down well or they just weren't experiencing it to the extent this church and this city was. And that was the fact that internally, spiritually, they were facing great opposition and great spiritual warfare. And, uh, you know, it's interesting how the church at large always seems to flourish better when there's outside persecution. All through church history, if you see things that are persecuting the church externally, that seems to be the environment that causes the people of God to arise and aspire. And it seems like the church does its best when it's being persecuted. Right now in China, you're not allowed to meet publicly uh, as a Christian, or to have a public Christian service. And so, now for decades, since Mao, since Mao Zedong uh, instituted communism there in China, the church has been underground. But the interesting thing in China is, is that there are more believers today in the underground church of China than there were when the communist revolution took place. The minute the external persecution comes to the church, there's something that kicks into gear and the church just arises and does incredible, incredible feats. But also what begins to take place is is when that persecution begins to diminish and we find ourselves in favor or we find ourselves with great liberty, what happens is sometimes I think we get sloppy. And because of that sloppiness, it allows open doors for the enemy to slip in. And while we don't face much external persecution, the internal opposition can be even more detrimental, I think, to the life of the church. And we're going to see that here with the church of Thyatira. And I've called the lesson this morning, a spiritual resistance movement. A spiritual resistance movement. In World War II, in fact, probably within every war, I would suspect it's taking place right now. 
in Iraq, sometimes on, on the enemy side of the equation, that not all the battles are fought, you know, just outwardly. Not all the battles are fought when great armies align up and face off with each other. But there are moments that within the populace, there are resistance movements. In World War II, when France was occupied by Nazi Germany, in the midst of that country, there were civilians who were uh, bound together in certain brigades. They were hard to figure out who they were. And they were resistance movements. Right now you hear on the news the insurgents that right now are battling our soldiers over in Iraq. These are resistance movements that happen sort of clandestinely, internally. They're hard to get a hold of, but yet they're very effective in causing discouragement to take place to the enemy that they are battling. And uh, I want to talk this morning about the church being a spiritual resistance movement. Now, bear with me, I'm going to read to you uh, his word to Thyatira. It's a little bit lengthy, but just bear with me, we need to hear the the word of the Lord. And Jesus speaks in verse 18 of chapter 2, it says, And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things, says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works... The last are more than the first. So far, not too bad. Verse 20. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. Because you allow, or you could put off to the side, if you want to write in your Bible, that word may better be translated tolerate. Tolerate. Nevertheless, because you tolerate or allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. So here we go again with that Nicolaitan Balaam spirit we've been talking about in previous weeks. Now it's just being manifest through this other, other person, obviously, that's being moved by this Jezebelic spirit. He said, and I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. So in other words, God's not ignoring it. He says they must repent of their deeds. He says in verse 23, amazing, this is the Lord. I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your works. Now to you I say, and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden, but hold fast what you have till I come. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron, they shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels." as I also have received from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. And we're going to talk again on what I've entitled a spiritual resistance movement. Now, the Lord is speaking to this church about a specific spirit that is troubling the church, troubling the ministry, obviously hindering what his heart and intent is for them in that particular city, and that spirit is called Jezebel. Now, in the Old Testament, Jezebel was a living, breathing woman who caused Israel much harm. Um, I'm not going to go over the whole story concerning uh, Ahab and Jezebel. It was the account that happened during the time of the prophet Elijah. And it was during this time that Jezebel when she married the king Ahab, brought with her all the particular idol worship, Baal worship, all the other things that had taken place in a foreign country, and she began to institute it, or she used her control and her power to begin to institute some of this idolatry within the nation of Israel. Now, when you begin to read her story, and if you were to teach on Jezebel, one of the things we would begin to realize that the characteristics of Jezebel would probably have something to do with manipulation, with control, 
with being clandestine in the background, manipulating things behind the scenes. And, and it would be indeed an interesting lesson that we could talk about. And I almost went down that road to begin to talk about Jezebel. But as I began to read this, it seemed to me that there was a far greater precept beginning to come forth that I need to spend our time this morning dealing with and not just zeroing in necessarily on Jezebel specifically. Let me just say by way of precept that in the Old Testament, you'll find many characters, many names, many people. And when you get into the New Testament, you will find them oftentimes mentioned again. And so when we get into the New Testament and you see the word Jezebel, what we begin to see is that we are not dealing so much with a person as much as we are dealing with a spirit. Now, you have to get a hold of this and really understand. Because when it comes to, let's say, a Jezebel spirit, while it is, of course, representative, representative of that which took place in a woman in the Old Testament whose name was Jezebel, we need to understand that Jezebels are not gender-specific. We say, what does that mean? I mean, I've met as many men Jezebels as I have women. Just as much as I've met women who are Ahabs, spineless. So when it comes to the spirit realm, we're not talking about genders here. We're talking about spirits. Spirits use people. And they don't much care what gender you are in order for them to use you. So break out of this mentality for just a moment that when you see particular names come up, that it, that it automatically has to be addressed to, well, you know, Jezebel happens in women. Well, certainly Jezebel happens in women. But guys, don't you wiggle out. I've, I've watched guys manipulate and control behind the scenes. I sure have. So let's not just be naive when we deal with this. Just like the concept of Babylon in the, in the book of the Revelation, you'll see Babylon mentioned. Well, Babylon was a real city, was it not? I mean, it, Babylon is actually Baghdad today. That's where we're fighting today in ancient Babylon. But when you get into the New Testament and Babylon is mentioned, it doesn't have anything to do with that ancient city. Most of the time, it has to do with the precept or the world system or the spirit. I'm telling you, America has a spirit of Babylon on it. So as I begin to teach this, keep in mind that we're talking about something that exists in the spiritual realm that has to be addressed. And the reason I want you to get that into your system is because if you begin to understand that these concepts and people and these names are, are spirit-oriented or they're spiritual, you can begin to make the leap in your understanding that you'll begin to see that it is the church and the church alone that can begin to deal with those spirits. You cannot legislate out of Washington, D.C. a spirit out of existence. We can legislate against every known spirit the Bible speaks about. How many of you know it'll still happen in the earth? Because legislation in the halls of Congress does not move Satan and his cohorts. Just because we write legislation and we say, no longer shall there be, let's just say, no longer shall there be guns in schools. We outlaw murder. If you for a moment think that the spirit of murder has suddenly been bound, you are foolish. Satan doesn't move because Washington, D.C. spoke. Satan moves when the church speaks. That's why you need to understand that while earthly government and secular government has its place, it is church and the government that we exert as the people of God that has the greatest effect of all. Now, as I mentioned, I had originally planned uh, to deal with the Jezebel spirit, but I, I want to be sure I touch on a much broader concept, a much more critical point today, and that is Jesus wants us, wants the church to get a spiritual resistance movement up and going against the devil. Amen. James 4, 7. Maybe on the screen overhead or you can find it in your Bible. Listen to this, James 4, 7. We read, therefore, submit to God, resist. Everyone say resist. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. You know, sometimes if the devil's been bothering you, you got to ask yourself the question first, have I been resisting him? Because sometimes we don't resist him. 
The devil comes up knocking and we roll over. Oh, the devil came. You need to understand that that we need to resist him. And the problem in Thyatira was, according to Jesus, they tolerated. They allowed a spirit to have its way. They refused to confront an oppressive spirit. And this is critical and you need to get it. Satan will not stop what he's doing in your life until you spiritually confront him. Just because you whine about it doesn't stop him. Just because you moan about it doesn't stop him. Just because you think about it doesn't stop him. You have got to understand that he will not stop until we arise as the people of God and confront what he's doing in the spirit. And Thyatira refused to confront or they refused to do battle with a spiritual enemy. Now, I want to give you three basic truths. I'm going to go through this real fast. Three basic truths about spiritual battle that you've got to get a hold of. The first one being is this, that Satan uses spirits to carry out his agenda. He uses spirits to carry out his agenda. In Ephesians 6 verse 12, we read, it says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. It says right there, Paul says, that Satan has set up this hierarchical network in the spirit realm of forces of other spirits, fallen angels, that he can set his agenda with and they will go forth and they will begin to attempt to implement that evil agenda in people's lives and in the earth. And what he also says here is interesting. He says, technically, technically, people are not the problem. Now, I know you've got some people who are a problem. We all do. We all have people that somehow feel called to our lives to do all sorts of things that we don't like. And when we hear their name or they're spoken to us or we can envision their face, there's something in us that just goes, oof. But I want you just to remember this and hopefully it will help your compassion and understanding. Technically, people are not the problem. Paul said we do not wrestle with flesh and blood. You see, the truth of the matter is that that there's a spirit usually at work behind the person that's influencing them And that's what needs to be addressed in the spirit. And oftentimes when we say to ourselves, I'd love to slap that person's face and hit them right up the side of the head. Well, I know how you feel, but it would do more good to learn how to slap that spirit that's influencing them. Say, and that's what we've got to get a hold of. Now, Satan cannot be everywhere at once. Satan is not God. So what does he do? He releases his operatives, these demonic forces, to carry out his plan. He can't be everywhere at once. So you should automatically take a big, deep breath and have a sigh of relief because even when you're battling Satan himself, he's not God. And most of us, and I I don't want to in any way offend you, but most of us aren't dealing with Satan himself. Most of us are dealing with that hierarchical uh, 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 setup that he has created in order that his agenda could go out through the earth. So understand, he uses spirits to carry out his agenda. Number two, cities, churches, and Christians can be influenced by these spirits. Now, I don't know whether you're going to believe me or not, and you can, you can walk away and disagree with me, and I love you, and you love me. But every time I read this, Paul's writing to a church at Ephesus, and he says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Well, I don't know about you, but when I hear the word we, that means me. He's looking at the church, he's looking at the people of God, and he says, people of God, you're going to wrestle with these dark forces. If somebody told you that when you got saved, suddenly you were 
under this force field and you would never have to deal with the enemy, deal with the devil. There would never be any issues externally or internally inside of you. If somebody told you that once you got saved or filled with the spirit, the enemy could no longer mess with you. I'm sorry, I don't see that. Now, I'm not trying to just cause an open door to occur, but if we don't come to the reality that we're in a battle and we're in a war, then we're going to get our tails kicked. And so we're going to have to understand that these forces were meant to influence you. And I'll give you something else that probably won't encourage you at first. I'll encourage you before we're done. But once you give your life to Jesus, once you say yes to him, once you open up your life to the fullness of the spirit, once you get serious about the things of God, I'm sorry, you are a bullseye for the enemy. You say, oh, that's the case. And I'm fixing to get, you know, lethargic again. I'm going to I'm going to develop apathy. Well, well, I'm just here to tell you, 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 you will begin to then enter into deception and you're already gone. I, I, we are in a war, folks. This, this, we are in a battle. And we have to awaken to that and understand that. And he influences not just individuals, but he will influence whole churches and he'll even influence whole cities. Because they have authority over certain areas, certain dominions they are given authority to. In Daniel chapter 10, we see that when Daniel asked the Lord for an answer to prayer, It took 21 days and he didn't understand why it took so long. And suddenly an angel shows up and there was this unveiling that took place. And the gist of the story is this, that there was a demonic force. The prince of Persia began to contend with that answer that that angel was carrying for Daniel. And so for 21 days when Daniel was believing God and exercising his faith and praying and fasting, he didn't understand at that particular moment that, that he was warring in the spirit for that answer to come to pass. Until finally that angel tells him that, that the prince of Persia had actually called another spirit, the prince of Greece, to come along as well in order to help him in this battle. And so you need to understand that as you intercede and call out to God and you aren't seeing your answers come as fast as you might want them to come, what that means is there's a battle going on in the spirit realm and you need to fast and you need to pray and you need to get to the battle line and begin to believe God to break through that thing. So that answer can come to pass in your life. You say, I don't know that I like that. Well, that's welcome, welcome to the kingdom. I'm sorry. Number three, this is getting to some good news. Number three, Jesus is not afraid of a fight. We sort of developed this kind of wimpy Jesus. You know, Jesus is sort of this guy that walks around and he's just kind of wimpy and he rolls over. You know, when anything comes and he's kind of passive guy, we sort of develop this. I don't know about you, I just read out of Revelation 2 beginning with verse 18 and it says his eyes were as flames of fire. You read in another passage, it says that he's leading the heavenly host on a white horse with a sword from his mouth. I'm telling you, Jesus doesn't mind a fight. Now, I'm going to show you a couple of verses here, and you can write them down. If you can turn to them quick enough, that's great. But in Romans 16, 20, listen to this. Romans 16, 20, it says, And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. Now, isn't that cool? It says God will crush Satan, but whose feet is he under? Yeah, see, that's important. It didn't say God will show up and crush him and you don't have to worry about it. It says that the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. That means you got to get your feet somewhere. Amen. Colossians 2.15. Colossians 2.15. Just reading you some good verses that I hope encourage you, it says after the crucifixion, it says Jesus implied here, verse 15, Colossians 2, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. In other words, when when, when Jesus went through what he went through on the cross, he made provision for the absolute disarmament of the kingdom of darkness. That once he died on the cross, there was a unilateral disarmament in the kingdom of darkness. But here's the key. You've got to enforce that treaty. 
I don't even like the word treaty, but you've got to enforce that provision. And then finally, in Revelation 19.11, which is very familiar, I'm sure, to many of you as well, Revelation 19 and 11. We read, Now I saw heaven open, and behold a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. That's a picture of Jesus. The Lord's nature is that of a conqueror. All through the Old Testament, there were battles. All through the Old Testament, we see God's people battling. Those are pictures for us today to understand what it means for us now to wage war in the Spirit. And oftentimes, He would show up Himself in what they called a theophany. A theophany was when the angel of the Lord would show up. And the angel of the Lord was this pre-incarnate picture of Christ Himself. And he would show up and he would be called the captain of the hosts of heaven. And that's God's nature, is to battle. Now, hear me, God is love, but he loves a fight too. Are you with me? Now, I'm not talking about a fleshly carnal fight. I'm not talking about the kind of fights we see. But God loves a fight when it comes to taking to task the enemy. And he made every provision to you, to me, to the church for us to walk in absolute victory. Now, this spirit in Thyatira was a battle with the spirit of Jezebel. And that was not something that should have been unexpected. If you are the church, if we are the church, I mean, can we understand if we're the church? I mean, this isn't this isn't deep revelation. Satan might not like us, right? I mean, that would go without saying, that, that probably he would not like what the church was up to. You are not only uh, that which represents everything he's against, but do you understand that we as the church are the only real threat against his kingdom and agenda? Don't, don't think the governments of this world are a real threat against the enemy. They're not. Don't you think that, that legislation and litigation and court systems and and all the other things that we look to at times in order to change society really threatens Satan. That's going to be the most interesting thing in the next year and a half is to watch politicians come out and tell us all that they're going to change and how much better it's going to be if you'll just elect me into this office. Satan isn't a Democrat and he's not a Republican. He doesn't give a rip about either one. The only thing he cares about is what's that old church doing. Because if he gets... The church in his face, then he's got real problems. And I think, I think personally, this is what I think. I think it's time to give Satan a headache for a change. Amen? I mean, aren't you tired of your headaches that he gives you? I mean, I mean, aren't you to the place where you're just a little bit irritated and aggravated that every about two, three days you have to fuss with him or one of his minions? I mean, I think it's time that we got a spiritual resistance movement going and we gave the enemy one big headache. And I do believe when it comes to the enemy, an eye for an eye. It is time we arose and we, decided, and we began to apply that which we've been given in order to see victory come to pass. Now, let me just give you quickly just some understanding as to how this occurred in Thyatira that they, that they really relinquished or they gave up what was rightfully theirs. Let me go through this because a lot of it I think applies for today. How did this situation occur? That they relinquished their rights as believers. They relinquished their authority as the church. Number one is, you need to understand, how did this occur? How did, how did this, this Jezebelic spirit get in there? But how does any spirit? Jezebel is not unique, but, but this is how a spirit gets in to the life of a church or the life of an individual. Number one is, is that the church did not deal with its wounds or its traumas. Anytime there's a wound or there is a trauma in your life, that becomes, if it's not dealt with, an open door for the enemy to move in. I used, I think, a number of weeks ago, it may be months now, I don't remember, but I gave you the illustration of a wounded animal that's kind of hobbling through the forest. And sometimes you can watch overhead, the buzzards are circling. The animal's not dead yet, it's just wounded. 
But those buzzards and those hawks are circling over that animal because it sees that it's wounded. And that wound gives off a scent or a smell or something that draws those predators, or really those scavengers, into that animal's life. Well, let me just share with you that when you walk wounded, when you've been traumatized, when you've been abused, if you do not address those things, if you don't seek forgiveness, if you don't get the wound healed, if you don't go to the cross, which is the only thing that can heal it, it becomes legal ground for the enemy to begin to perpetrate his agenda. It not only works for you as a person, it works for a church as a congregation, and it works for a city as a region. If a city does not deal with its wounds and traumas, it becomes an open door for territorial spirits. That's why it's important that as a person and even as a church, and ultimately somehow as a city, in order to break off those evil influences, we've got to deal with that particular area. And persecution, listen to me for just a minute, all of us face different sorts of persecution, and Thyatira may not have had all the persecution that other churches had, but this is what I've come to understand. Persecution, when it comes into your life, can be used to mature you or wound you. Hear this now. Some of you have experienced things that were unjust, unfair, not right. And, and, and as it comes to you, you're, you're looking at it and, and you've got a choice with it. You can either let it mature you or it will wound you. And if it wounds you, then what you have to do is you have to reconcile it at the cross. But if you are mature and, and begin to understand and say, you know what? This is here to raise me up, to grow me up. I can begin to move forward in God. But the key to it all is, is that these situations where the enemy works comes in when we do not deal with wounds and traumas. Number two, this situation occurs when there is a neglect or an avoidance of this subject. You know, there are some churches and some places that will never talk about this particular area, especially not on Sunday morning. I mean, you can go to it somewhere else during the week and we kind of hide it. You know, demonology, you know, 101, that's over there. Unfortunately, demon is not over there. He's, he's about right there. And we have this sort of theology we've developed that says, well, if I don't bother them, they won't bother me. That'll get you killed. We're in a war, not a vacation. There's no time out on this battlefield. You've got to understand that we can't avoid this. This is a part of what goes on. In the spiritual realm, there's this battle that's taking place. You know, you've heard me tell stories. I grew up in a denomination, and some denominations do better than others in this particular regard. But I can remember going to seminary, and they even had a class on this whole subject. I think it was like Demonology 101 or something like that. I don't remember what they called it. And and I can remember it was sort of an interesting class, and we'd go in there, but the professor, I mean, he'd look and he'd... I, it was something like this. I may not be quoting him exactly, but it was something like this. It was, it was like we got class started and he goes, you know, guys, every time we teach this class, strange things happen. And you could just feel the fear go. And, and you know, it, we, we were taught all about demons, but we were never taught about how to win over them. And so it was always like, whoa, you know, these are big, bad, awesome things. And, and we're just, we're taught wrong. We've got to begin to understand that, that God has given us every ability and all authority to walk this life victoriously. And that's got to get in our system. Don't you be afraid of that. Don't you be afraid of that. It is time we arose and when they saw us coming, demons would say, don't want no part of that. No part of that. For most of us, when we show up, they look and say, easy pickings. I'm I'm trying to change your mentality. Number three, pride and success will blind you to this reality. Oftentimes, success will cause you to feel invincible. And there is a subtle deception that can come to success. I'll just share this with you. God grants us favor, no doubt about it. But sometimes Satan will let you have just a little favor. He can give some people a lot of money, he can give them a lot of position, and he can give them a lot of power and just leave them alone. Because they'll crash, sure enough, just by, by letting them have just a little bit of that. You, you, 
And this is what I believe. I believe that for every reality in the kingdom of God, there is a counterfeit. That's what I believe. I, I believe that, that, that there are all sorts of promises and realities. All Satan can do is counterfeit, and he does that oftentimes. And he'll, will, he will allow pride and success to enter into people's lives. And once that comes, a blinder comes up, and they begin to think that it must be God. It just must be God. And the whole time not realizing that Satan is setting them up for just the right moment. I'm not going to pick on, on, on preachers that have fallen any more than I would pick on businessmen that have fallen or any other profession where people have, have, have had influence and then they've fallen because of sin or poor decision making. But is it not interesting how Satan will allow things to go on for so long? He never, de- he never allows it to be dealt with or he keeps it hidden or whatever the case may be. It seems like it's allowed to go to the place that when it finally falls apart, he does the most damage. It's because there's this deception that comes over our eyes. And we need to understand that it can occur if we aren't uh, uh, keenly aware that that can take place. Number four, how did it occur? passiveness about their purpose some people are just spiritually passive they refuse to get energized about what is at stake uh you know there are people that hear the message and they'll say well you know yeah you're right i guess i probably do have a purpose and maybe i need to get prayed for and i want someone to pray for me maybe i'll have pastor pray for me trace or i'll get a connect leader or somebody of spiritual maturity i'll i'll get somebody to pray for me hey, folks we we've, we've got to get energized about what god's put into our lives we want someone else to do the work we want someone else to go to battle and passivity with the devil only postpones the fight that you're going to have to show up for Psalm 144, verse 1. I didn't put it, guys. It won't be on the screen because I didn't give it to you. Psalm 144, verse 1 says this. Blessed be the Lord my rock, listen, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. It says that God has his own training camp for warfare. And so we've got to quit being passive. If he's training me for battle, then that means I'm probably going to face a few in my lifetime. And then finally, number five, there's loss of interest in the spirit realm. We have reached the time and an era where people no longer think in terms of the spiritual realm. We've we've finally reached the place. In fact, you've heard the old saying that they are so heavenly minded, no earthly good. You've heard that saying? Well, you know, they're just so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. And that was true. But now we're to the place where we're so earthly minded, we're just spiritually dumb. I mean, I'm all for being practical. I'm all for getting my things in order and understanding there's some practical, relevant, natural, earthly things that we have to do with our lives. I understand that. We all got to get up in the morning. Some of us go to school. Some of us go to work. I understand that. We have natural things that just have to be addressed. Nothing wrong with that. But it's time we got a revelation that where the action is, is in another realm. And, and, And it's influencing this realm. And unless we're just going to use fleshly, carnal, earthly means to try to battle that, we're going to be sunk. But we've got to get an interest in the spirit realm. And we cannot forget that, especially when we're in a war. There's enough, do you understand right now in this room? Call me crazy. Just, I've just lost my mind. But right now in this room, do you understand there are powers and principalities in another dimension that are listening and watching, perhaps even moving in this realm right now that you and I can't see? Do you know there can be things right here, maybe angels tending, watching even me as I speak? Right now with you, you may have an empty seat beside you in the natural, but there well enough could be something there in the spirit. You remember the story, was it Elijah or Elisha that had his eyes opened and he saw when the armies, the natural armies were arrayed, his eyes were open and he saw the armies of the heavenly hosts that no one else could see. We've got to understand that's what is real. That's real. That stuff's real. Sure, it's real. So what do we need to do? Let's just start talking about where we need to get back and what we need to do. Number one is as the church And as a Christian, number one is it's time we just got up. It's time to get up. Numbers 13, verse 30. When the children of Israel 
were looking into the land, their purpose and their destiny. It said that Caleb quieted the people before Moses and he said, let us go up at once and take possession for we are well able to overcome it. It's time we got up and you started saying we are well able to overcome some things. I don't want to hear anymore. I can't, I can't overcome this. Then you don't know God. It is time you got a revelation of who he is and what he can do and his greatness and his power and his awesomeness and you can arise and you can win. Yes, you can. You need to get that in your system. You've been listening to the wrong people if you don't think you can overcome. I'm sorry. Someone needs to tell you that. You don't need someone telling you there, there, now, now. Oh, I'm sorry. You need someone telling you arise and win. You can speak the name of Jesus. Everything needs at the, at the feet of Jesus. Everything does. You got to get that in your system again. Yes, you can win. Yes, we were designed to win. And is it going to be easy? No, it's a war. But the war has been decided if you get to the battle. You are well able. Everyone say this with me. Say, I am well able. I have all I need in Christ Jesus to win. Amen. We got to get up. Get up. Don't sit in bed. Don't turn the lights off. There was a time in Oakland, California, just because I was dumb as a doornail. I was getting my tail kicked from every which direction and I'd sit in a room in a chair and I'd shut the lights out and I'd sit there and just wallow in my discouragement and my, my depression. And my wife was concerned and one day she looked at me and she said, Kevin, it's time you got up. You're right. It's dark in here. You got to get up. And if we'll get up, getting up is half the battle, I think. Number two, we read in Revelation 2.25, it said to hold fast. Hold fast. There are moments in a battle when you're in the midst of it where where it looks like everything, and literally, I mean, I'm not just trying to, to shock you, but literally hell has broken loose in your situation. And you're going, have mercy. Everything, it's just... It's crazy and, 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 and you're wanting relief and you're wanting to, it to stop and you don't see any way out and you're just, you're, has anybody ever been in a situation where just everything was just happening and you were totally out of control? Three of you. Four or five. All right, a few more. All right, thank you. What do you do? You say, Pastor, what do you do? You hold fast. You hold fast. That, that, you know, that's a spiritual precept. Hold fast. There are going to be moments in your life, listen to me, you may not feel like you're moving forward, but you've got a choice as to whether you move backward. You may not be getting ahead as quickly as you think you need to be, but you don't have to go back to where you were. There are those moments you just say, I don't know what's going on. I'm just going to hold fast. You need to be like that guy in the Old Testament. I, I, the reason I remember him is because he had such a terrible name. His name was Eleazar the Dodo. I mean, how would you like to be named Eleazar Dodo? That'd either make you tough or you'd just be toast, wouldn't it? But there was a time the Philistines were charging and he had this little pea patch. And, and I'm, God had much more for him than just that little pea patch. But he was, he was fighting hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of Philistines. And the Bible said that all he could do was stand his ground in that little pea patch with a stick. And he just kept beating off Philistines. He didn't get it. He wasn't getting his inheritance at that particular moment. But how many of you know that was an important pea patch? And some of you right now in the place you are at, your pea patch is your emotional state. Your pea patch is your discouragements or depressions. Your pea patch is the job that you're at or your finances. That's your pea patch. And God's saying to some of you right now, no, you don't have a million dollars yet. And no, you might not be feeling good every day of your life. But it is time to take your stand in your pea patch and tell the rest of those buzzards they aren't coming in. And you just hold fast. Hold fast. Number three. No treaties. Have you ever read this? People have asked me oftentimes when they read the Old Testament, 
why it is that God seems so absolutely mean. I mean, you read some of these things and whew. Deuteronomy 7, 1 and 2, it says, When the Lord your God brings you into the land which you go to possess and has cast out many nations before you. Now, isn't that interesting? Because the word says that he's cast out these nations already, but truth of the matter is they were still in the land. Are you seeing that? You know where I'm going with that? The Lord says this, you have a promise and you have a purpose and you have a destiny, and he's already cast out all the enemies. You say, well, last time I looked, there are plenty of enemies in my land. Right. You're the one that's supposed to go in and begin to implement that which he's given you authority to implement. He's cast them out. It's done. He's waiting for you to see if you'll do that. Now, it says in chapter 7, verse 1, he goes and he tells all of the enemies that are there, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, the Termites, and seven other nations, greater and mightier than you. And when the Lord your God delivers them over to you, you shall conquer them and utterly destroy them You shall make no covenant with them, nor show no mercy to them. Now, I've had people ask me, they say, how could God be like this? And it's difficult to understand the mentality of the Middle East. It's becoming easier because we're so intricately involved over there as a nation. But this is the way they think. Right or wrong, it's the way they think. They think this, that if we we don't get you or we don't destroy you, that our children or our grandchildren or their children's children is, are going to come and destroy you. So, th- so they propagate a mentality that thinks much longer than we do. We say to ourselves, how can you guys over there keep fussing for 4,000 years over stuff that happened with Ishmael and Isaac and all that? Why are you fussing 4,000 years later? It's because there's this mentality that says, if I don't get you, my, my lineage or my heritage is going to come get you. And so it doesn't matter who it is. And I'll tell you, a 1,000 years from now, that mentality will still be there if Jesus tarries. And so what God says is this. I know it's hard to understand, but until you understand that this same group will send in little children with bombs strapped to their back to blow up, Americans and even nationals in Iraq and Iran and other places. The whole, don't try to think American when you're talking about the Middle East. It won't work. And so what does God say? He says this, and I know it's tough when you read it by way of Old Testament, but I'll get to New Testament application. What he's saying here is this. He's saying, don't make a treaty with them because nobody's going to keep a treaty. Do I have to illustrate that? They'll make, they'll go to Camp David, make an accord, and two months later, it's out the window. He says, don't make any treaties with them. Don't cut a covenant with them and show them no mercy. Utterly destroy. And what he meant was, is that he meant utterly go into that camp and clean it out. Yes, even to the very youngest of the young. Now, to our American sophisticated mentality, we say, how could you do that? Because that same little kid that you wouldn't dream of touching or killing will be the same adult that will kill you in a heartbeat. And until you root it out at the very root of its core, you're never going to be free. Listen to me right now. This is what he's saying. He's saying, don't you make deals with the devil. Don't you sit there and make treaties with the things that are going on inside of you. It is time to root out everything. Get down to the core. Get down to the bottom line. It's time to just quit salving over it, but get to the bottom line of that thing and let it be rooted out of you. The reason the enemy has such a heyday with the church is because we've not allowed God to root out everything that's unlike him in our lives. So you're kind of exercised this morning. Yes, I am. Because there is yet a victory for you. I want you to have that victory. Do you want your victory? Well, you've got to learn to root some things out. And then finally, number four, we've got to enforce the victory. 1 Timothy 6 and 12. 1 Timothy 6 and 12. If you don't believe this isn't for the people of God, why, why would Paul have written these words? He said, fight the good fight. There's a good fight for you to fight. The fight of faith. He says, lay hold on eternal life 
to which you are also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. The enemy will only obey what you enforce. He will only respond to what you speak. He will only back off when you begin to apply what is available. You need to understand that Jesus, through His blood and through His name, has given us everything we need to press into victory. This I've, I've come to the conclusion. I used to teach spiritual warfare and I'd have 15 points. I've got two. The blood and His name. If you can get a hold of the blood and His name, that'll get you a long way. But you've got to begin to enforce it. You've got to begin to put it into practice. Begin to speak it. Begin to hold fast. Get up. About the 12th century, thereabouts, there was sort of a misguided attempt at spiritual warfare that was called the Crusades. Uh, I'm not going to talk all the dynamics of the Crusades. The Crusades are kind of getting a bad rap these days because it was against Muslim forces in that particular era. And it was waged in the natural and it was, was brutal, bloody, carnage was everywhere. And I'm not making a case for earthly, natural battle. I'm not making a case for that. But it was interesting in that particular time period that when the Crusades were happening because they, they didn't have full revelation, but they understood that the Muslim religion or the spirit of religion was beginning to encroach upon territories that had been known for some time to be Christian, they said something had to be done about this. Now, it was misguided, it was an error, it was wrong, and they decided they were going to battle it in the natural. You cannot battle a spirit in the natural. I'm telling you right now, if we, if we want to be sure that Christianity will remain the prevailing cultural influence in America, it's not just going to be running Muslims out of our country. We're going to have to seek God and battle the spirit of religion and error and begin to break that thing in the spirit. We can close up borders and give out new green cards or whatever card the government wants to put out. We're all worked up about immigration. Let me tell you, if you're worried about terrorism coming through, it's time we took to task the author of terrorism, and his name is S-A-T-A-N. You think you're going to fence out him? I don't think so. But there was this misguided attempt in the 12th century. And so they were doing these crusades. And there, there was an interesting phrase they used as sort of their war slogan. It was Latin. It was, it was called Deus Volt. Deus Volt. It actually means God wills it. God wills it. And I, I was thinking about that. And, and as I was making application to the spiritual, that might be a good war cry. God wills it. He wills for us to arise. He wills for us to apply the victory that He made available through His Son on the cross. He wills for us to walk in abundance and victory. He wills for us to not just conquer, but to be more than a conqueror. He wills that. And in every generation, God has had key men and key women who have stayed in the battle, who have held fast their ground, who have said, I will, if I'm the last one standing, so be it, but I am going to remain until God gets His glory. And this is what it says in Psalm 149. Listen to this. Psalm 149. Think of this in a spiritual application. He says, let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand to execute vengeance on the nations, punishments on the people, to bind their kings with chains, their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute on them the written judgment. And he's not talking about now earthly, natural people. We're not going out of here doing something in the natural that's somehow killing people or taking them to task in the flesh or carnally. He's talking spiritually, this is what we need to do. And then he says this, this honor have all the saints. Do you understand that it's an honor for you and for me to be able to arise every morning and say, hot dog, I get to kick the enemy's tail today. 
Glory to God. You get to wake up in the morning and say, praise the Lord. I may not, I may not pursue into anything new, but he's not getting my pea patch today. I won't worry about tomorrow, but today, no pea patch. That is an honor. That is your honor. Because he's designed you for victory. Amen. Well, let's stand for a moment now. We're going to apply a little victory here. Are you ready for victory? Are you, are, you, are you ready to break those oppressive forces that have tried to hold you back, keep you back, that, that have tried to snow you and deceive you? It is now time that you arose. You got up just like you did right now in your seat. Do you understand? You just got up, got up in a very tangible way. It is time for some of you, I, I, you know, I can't guarantee what tomorrow will bring, but I can tell you this, you can hold fast. You can hold fast. I can tell you this much, that it is time that you quit cutting treaties with the enemy. And you kept, quit saying to him, well, if you don't bother me, I won't bother you. He does, he, how many of you know he's the father of lies? Even if he made that deal with you, he'd lie and break it. So, you know, you might as well not even make the deal and get up in the morning and say, you know what? I'm going to bother the enemy today because I'm going to pursue my purpose. I'm going to pursue the will of God and it's going to bother him. So be it. It's an honor. It's an honor to love God, worship God, and it's an honor to bother the enemy. You know, it is. It's time we, we, we got known to the enemy. I want him to know me. Now, I'm not looking for a fight and I'm not picking one, but at the same time, if we're not doing anything and he doesn't know who we are, then what good are we? It is time. No treaties, no mercy. And then finally, number four, it's time we enforced what we've been given. Amen? We've got to enforce. We can, we can be given every, everything necessary for abundance, victory, and success. But if it's not enforced, it is meaningless. God, very shortly is going to crush Satan. But it's going to be beneath your feet. Are you hearing me? He's not going to crush Satan beneath his, it's your foot. That's what he said to Eve in the garden. He said that, that you'll bruise the head of the serpent. It's time we did some bruising. I don't know about you, I've been bruised a few times. I think it's, it's now to turn the tables on the enemy and do some of our own bruising to the kingdom of darkness. Come on now, that's your choice. You can't dodge it. Don't dodge it. Don't be afraid of it. God hath not given you the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. He has trained your hands for war. He has trained your fingers for battle. He has put a confession in your mouth. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Yes. Don't you say, don't you say for a minute, you don't know my family. You're right, I don't. Might not even want to meet them. But they're not bigger than my God. They're not bigger. Come on now. You've not met my friends. I don't care who your friends are. It doesn't matter. Every knee shall bow. You don't know. You don't know the neighborhood I live in, the school I go to. You don't know the city that I have to serve God in. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. All that matters is that you're in touch with Him. He's in touch with you, and you enforce what you've been given. Hey, if you're going to go down, why don't you at least go down with a fight? But if you'll rise up and fight, you won't go down. Some of you are going down right now without a fight. You think you've got the chokehold on you. You don't. Not yet. Come on. Arise. Arise. This is what we're going to do right now. I just feel an anointing to do this. If you've got an area that you need to battle through on, if you've got something going on, it could be a circumstance, relationship, job, finance, sickness, I don't know, I could give you a thousand things. But if you'd like to do a little battle, 
with me before we go. Come on, man. Let's just come on down. And we're going we're gonna to do a little battling here before we go today. Because you need victory. Victory needs to come to your life. Come on now. It can be different. It can be different. Yeah. Come on now. Say it to yourself right now. Say, arise. Arise. Come on now. Let your spirit man start to arise right now.